1: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: As we always say on every Friday, what do we say? T-G-I-F. Thank God it's Friday. And uh, we have one great show for you today. More revelations about... What the heck is going on in Washington? In the studio with us, we have Judge Richard Weinberg. How are you, Judge? Fine, thanks okay. for
3: having me back.
2: Well, I'm always glad you're back. You were on vacation for a week, and uh, <laughs> we missed you. And uh, our uh, in-house genius, a, uh, a a doctor, a medical expert,
3: a uh, renaissance man, a,
4: renaissance man historian.
2: a historian, in live in the studio, Dr. Peter Michalos. Welcome, Peter.
4: Great to be with the truth. Center of radio.
2: Well, we tell the truth here and do we make sure we get the truth.
5: I already got some medical advice from him. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Lydia,
5: who do we have on? Miranda Devine. She is a New York Post columnist and she has that great book out, The Laptop from Hell. Of course, she was on the forefront of that issue and so many more. And now there's been another Twitter file dump. We are learning so much more. Miranda Devine, fill us in. Yes, hello everybody.
6: Um well, you know, again, it's
2: not
5: the holy ground. It's not what I've been waiting for, which is... Miranda, can you get closer it. to the phone? We've got a bad signal. Or if you're on speakerphone, just take it off. Oh,
6: okay. Sorry. I will fix
5: that right now. Is that better? Perfect. Oh, oh, tough. Tough. Oh,
6: hallelujah.
2: Sorry about that. Um, you yeah, sounded I'm... before you were from Australia.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Instead of from Queens.
6: Yeah, exactly. Um, Yes, so I I just uh, I don't think we're going to see the evidence, which I'm sure is there, uh, of the FBI um, getting involved, telling them, um, you know, the, the calendar entries, the Slack conversations between Twitter employees discussing the FBI. Um, their sort of information about a hack and leak operation um, and to look out in October of 2020 for uh, some sort of hacked material about Hunter Biden. Uh, We know that that's what the FBI did. um, And I was hoping that Elon Musk would release that information and um, release, you know, any other information about the federal government or the Biden campaign intervening um, with the social media companies. But I have a feeling that Elon Musk won't release that um, because it's just his his companies are under so much threat from the Biden administration and Janet Yellen and, um, you know, the EU and Wall Street. Uh, so he, he probably will keep something in reserve. But good on him for giving us the illuminating material he's given so far. It really shows us what we already knew, but it gives us the the meat on the bones, the proof that Twitter was shadow banning, was suppressing voices that were dissenting from the, the kind of government... Uh, tell
2: tell our audience what shadow... Uh, uh,
6: shadow is, ban. Shadow banning is. So it's it's really a, a kind of a proxy. Instead of blocking an account, blocking a person, or suspending their account or throwing them off Twitter altogether... What they do is they just suppress the number of people that can see the tweets. So you might put out a tweet that would go viral, but it won't go viral. It should have, but it won't because Twitter has kind of put the brakes on it. They've just made your visibility much smaller. Hardly anyone can see your tweets. You don't know that. That's why it's called a shadow ban. It's like you've been banned, but you don't know.
5: And Miranda Devine, what was really interesting to me is okay, we expected the conservative commentators, but Elon Musk also confirmed that a lot of political candidates on the right were also shadow banned. And then we also learned that that Stanford professor who was tweeting out about COVID lockdowns being harmful for children, he too was shadow banned. So this this is just widespread, and it's it confirms what we suspected all along.
6: Well, it's widespread on one side of the argument. It's all conservative. It's all the people who were dissenting from what the orthodoxy was with the Biden administration, the CDC, and so on. Now, Jay, you just mentioned Jay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he is um you know an eminent doctor an eminent health economist he's got multiple degrees from stanford he and and uh, other eminent doctors uh created the great barrington declaration in 2020 which is not crazy it it, it was not extreme it was not nutty it was all based on science and they've been proven 100 percent right on everything and what they were saying was Protect the elderly, protect the infirm, allow healthy young people that we know by this stage the virus does not hurt, allow them to go about their business, make the economy still tick over, uh, allow them to go to school and have a normal life so that we don't now suffer the consequences that we're seeing now with children's education, mental illness, suicide, depression, etc. And he was he was ignored and we we think we can see through, uh, we know through the Twitter files that his account was um, shadow banned effectively. Um, but also we know from this lawsuit against the Biden administration that's been brought by the attorneys general of Missouri and Louisiana uh, into the federal government violating the First Amendment uh, by. Uh, coercing the social media companies to do their dirty work for them. We know that they were suppressing um, contrary voices on lockdowns, uh, also on mask wearing, also on the vaccine. I mean, Dr Bhattacharya was uh, saying that, look, there is evidence that the the negatives for children outweigh any benefits of taking the vaccine, and there's really no need for them to take it unless they're high risk. Um, and, and parents ought to have been given that that data so they could make a decision, an informed decision of their own with their doctor, about whether or not they were going to give their, you know, their six-year-old, their infant now, uh, the jab. And so um, that was suppressed, but so was, um, you know. People who were critics of the the federal government's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, I mean these are purely political um, issues, and they they ought not be suppressed. This is like something out of East Germany.
2: Miranda, is anybody going to get in trouble? Um, well, they
6: should and look we we, have... we all
2: say, we all know they should, but my god, i can't believe what's going on in our country. And uh, they seem like all of them are getting away with it.
6: Well, I think we have a newly energized and red-pilled and very aggressive uh, Republican House uh, that's going to be taking power in the new year. They have already outlined investigations. What I have, what I know about um, some of those investigations, they have done a lot of excellent work. They have very good investigators. They are resolute. And I think that you will find that it'll be no more kid gloves with people who lie to Congress. I mean, for instance, Jack Dorsey, the former owner and CEO, founder, brilliant founder of Twitter, um, he went before Congress uh, after our, our story was um, said was set- oh, in we- 2020. He well- went before Congress, I think, in December, November, December, and told them, no, we don't shadow ban anyone. Over and over he said that. No, no, we don't suppress conservative voices. Well, that's wrong, and he should be held to account for that. There well, was-
2: some of the people that lied to Congress ended up in solitary confinement in the basement of a church, a, not a church,
6: basement of a prison. What's going to happen to these guys? Anything? Well, remember John Brennan and James Clapper also lied to Congress and nothing happened to them. But I think it's a very different Republican cohort coming in now. They've learned the lessons of being too soft back, you know, in the Benghazi days. And I think that they have, have, you know, they've seen how dirty the the game was played against them when it came to Russia collusion and uh, the FBI involvement in, uh, inter- you know, basically interfering with the 2020 election. So I think they're, 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 sh- they're much tougher, and I don't think they're going to allow people to get off the hook for lying to Congress.
3: Miranda, it's Richard Weinberg. From, from my perspective, what would be interesting is if the House Republicans subpoenaed the current attorney general and the current director of the FBI to find out what they knew, when they knew it, and what they did about it. Because I think that's part of the story too. There's a lot of knowledge there on the inside that's not being disseminated. And I don't know if you're gonna get it through these uh these releases that have just come out.
6: Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think we're gonna get it. I think this power that the Republicans have will be incredibly useful and worthwhile. And I know that, you know, they are You know, they they have access to financial, to money trails. Um, That's incredibly important. Uh, And they should be able to find out who installed, for instance, the former FBI general counsel, James Baker, into Twitter five months before the 2020 election um, to act. You can only surmise as a gatekeeper for any detrimental information. You don't think that was a coincidence, Uh, Miranda? Yeah, real coincidence. (laughs) And just like... uh, Professor Pamela Carlin was parachuted about the same time, six months before the election, into Facebook to work on their content moderation board, virulently anti-Trump lefty professor. And, of course, straight after the election, she left and joined the uh, Biden administration in the civil rights division of the
5: DOJ. And Miranda Devine, Judge Weinberg and I were talking about this. It's very Orwellian what happens here, because also a lot of major media outlets took their cue from Twitter. Where they said, "Oh, if Twitter is blocking this story, if Twitter is blocking this person, if Twitter is calling this disinformation, Must be a bad guy." Exactly. So NBC News and CBS and ABC News and CNN and MSNBC. That's why they all. Oh, it took them years before they actually confirmed that the laptop was real. And Judge Weinberg, you had an interesting statistic about how what percentage of 16, people
3: from Ralph Red Miranda? Sixteen percent of the folks who voted for Biden. In the 2020 election, if they had known about the true laptop story that you revealed in, in your reporting and your book, would have voted for Trump, would not have voted for Biden. And that would have made a world of difference. Dr. Michalos, any opinions?
4: My opinion is that with all this cancer culture, as uh, Miranda just said, basically it creates an avalanche of canceling when one media outlet does it, it does it to the rest of them. And the other thing is that with physicians you spoke about before, what happens is physicians should be allowed to at least say in my opinion, so the NIH might say something about masks in, on three-year-olds and on three year olds and five year olds, or a physician should be able to say based on my thirty-five years of experience. I believe yeah. that it may not be beneficial and may be affecting their development and and other other matters, but physicians don't even have that freedom anymore, and many of them who work for large healthcare systems have to follow the, uh, and look what they the did. narrative.
3: And Peter, look what they did in California. They passed a law about disinformation being articulated by doctors. And who is the, prevailing who, who is the, problem the arbiter is
4: of that the, the problem is the person who wrote that was actually not a physician. That's what's scary. So we have non-physicians trying to tell people how to practice medicine. And during a pandemic, you don't have time for peer-reviewed literature. You need to deal with the people who are actually treating patients on the front line and get their opinion, and that's what doctors did from around the world and shared information.
5: Well, Miranda Devine, we're running out of time. Anything else you want to say? We have about a minute left.
6: Well, I just wanted to point out it's not just Twitter. It is uh, Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon, Apple. um, We call it big tech, all as one. Uh, These are global companies they are more powerful than the sitting president of the United States, as we saw when Facebook and Twitter deplatformed Donald Trump when he was still president. Um, the, these are a, a threat to our freedoms. They are completely unaccountable. They do not abide by America's constitution. Um, and, and they're a clear and present danger to the republic. And I think... That uh, it doesn't matter whether you have a friendly now running um, Twitter, what needs what the Republicans need to do is break them up, dilute their power at the very least.
5: Well, thank you so much, Miranda Devine. We always say here, whoever controls the message, right, controls the masses. And that's what was happening there. And so we have to make sure we get that truth out. Truth and transparency should be the rule, not the exception. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to speak with Larry Kudlow. Keep it right here. Cats at night.
1: It's cats at night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You're commuting home. With Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katzimatidis on 77 WABC.
2: Well, here we are, the number one show at uh, 5 o'clock on WABC. And coming on with us is the number one show on, on uh, Fox Business at 4 o'clock. We have with us Larry Kudlow, the world's, well, our country's leading economist. How are I you, Larry? I say the world. I'm good, John. Thank Solar you. Solar system. Yes. Uh, tell us, Larry. There was rumors around that Brian Moynihan to make him uh, Secretary of Treasury. Yeah,
1: I've seen those rumors. Uh, I I don't know. Um, the current Secretary of the Treasury has done a terrible job, Johnny Yellen. Um, Moynihan, I I've known him for years. Uh, I don't want to say anything about him one way or another. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm not going to beat up tell- on. him
2: tell us tell us about the economy. Tell us about uh, what's going on. I mean we haven't talked in a few weeks. Give us an update of what what's going on.
1: Well, I think the big story today was the bigger than expected increase in producer prices wholesale prices uh, about seven and a half percent over the past twelve months. Next week we'll get a CPI It's going to probably be about the same seven and a half to eight percent you know. uh, Inflation is deeply embedded in the economy. The Fed is trying to slay it. The Fed is trying to slam down the economy in order to slay it. I don't happen to agree with that approach, but the market sold off big time because inflation continues. And so what we're going to get is more rate hikes, and the Fed is going to continue to shrink the money supply. No one's operating on the supply side of the economy, which is the solution Open the spigots for oil and gas. Stop beating up on businesses. Renew the Trump tax cuts. Reward success. Don't punish it. Produce goods. Produce jobs. Produce investment. That's what we need, but that's not what we're getting. And the way we're going, we will get a recession next year. And the market got slammed today. Uh, In fact, it was a lousy lousy week for the market in general.
2: Understood. Um, Which way... I've heard you say that you think that next week uh, that the interest rates rise will be 50 basis points. you feel good about that?
1: Yeah, I think they'll go 50. But, you know, looking at this story, Wall Street is talking about something called a pivot, where really the Fed is going to stop raising rates. And I can tell you that's not going to happen. So even though they will do 50, which is a bit less than the 75s they've been doing— Um, As we get into the new year, John, I think they're going to continue to raise rates. Not sure Wall Street, you know, stock market is completely ready for that, although it maybe is beginning to discount it because this was a terrible week. I mean, look, they're determined to slam down the economy and uh, raise the unemployment rate. It's root canal without Novocaine. That's what it is. But it's going to be hard. Wages are rising. Prices are rising. Uh, This is the same crowd that told us not to worry about inflation two years ago, it didn't exist or it was gonna be transitory. Um, there's no confidence here. There is no confidence here. Um, and by the way, that's why, I don't know what whether Brian Whitehand's the right guy or not, but I do think that we could get better leadership at the Treasury. But John, here's the thing, can I just tell you this? The whole group, the Biden group, I mean, look at this woman, uh, Khan, she wants to stop Microsoft uh, purchasing, uh, what is it, Activision. Uh, they make the video games. That's just nonsense. That's just anti-business nonsense. Consumers won't be hurt. Consumers may be helped because of lower prices. Microsoft is a terrific company. The bigger point here is you've got all these people in the Biden administration that do not like free market capitalism, and they do not like businesses, and they do not like uh, – You know, for any fossil fuels, they shouldn't be where they are, but they are where they are and they're going to continue to practice these highly flawed policies. You know what makes America great? We should reward success. These guys want to punish success. They want these restrictive climate things. They want restrictive regulations. By the way, this uh, attack on Microsoft vertical uh, integration will be thrown out in the courts, just like all the other attempts. They've stopped all these deals. And that, by the way, has hurt Wall Street profits. It's crazy story. I don't know what she is, 30 years old. She doesn't know anything about business, not the slightest idea about how business operates.
3: Uh, Larry, it's Richard Weinberg, but she's not unique. You have a whole cast of characters who've never worked in a business, run a business, created a business. You have people who have ideological commitments to, to break up entrepreneurship, but they've never been involved in the real world.
1: Well, that is correct. Look, uh, come January, the House goes Republican, and you'll get much better policies. Uh, whether they can stop the socialist tide remains to be seen, but they will fight it. They will try to stop the bad stuff, and that gives us a little bit of hope. Uh, We're in this weird interlude, okay? Um, It won't last forever. Uh, I don't want to be the Grinch that stole Christmas. I think that eventually uh, we will revert back to the great uh, market-oriented system that made us the best economy in the world. But right now, yeah, we're watching... um, you know, a bunch of failed policies continue to fail. And it's not a good story. I wish it were, but it's not a good story. I'm just being realistic about it. Larry, oh,
5: Larry Kudlow, I want to ask your opinion about the prisoner swap. W- what do you think? Brittany Griner, um, we we brought her home. But, you know, for Victor Bout, merchant of death and terrible. Paul Whelan.
1: Absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. And we didn't get the Marine. Right. Right. So I don't seem to care about that. Just throw that in the mix. Makes us look weak. Very bad mistake. By the way, it's a deal that was rejected uh, by Trump several times when it was proposed a few years ago. A terrible idea, Lydia. Absolutely terrible idea. Another thing is, incidentally, you're talking about international relations. You know, in the news, the Chinese nosing around the Middle East, meeting with the Saudis, Saudi Arabia is China's biggest oil supplier – Uh, They're trying to break up U.S. influence in the Middle East. And here, too, Biden's made terrible mistakes favoring an Iran deal uh, against a relationship, a healthy relationship with the Saudis. So the Saudis are going to China. The Saudis are also talking to Russia. So this is another example of a terribly mistaken foreign policy.
5: And it looks like the Saudis uh, also helped broker this deal to bring Greiner home. They released a, a report, a joint statement, right, with the UAE and the Saudi government. They said, hey, we helped uh, broker this deal. And meanwhile, President Biden's taking all the credit. Karine Jean-Pierre, she's calling Greiner a, an American hero. I, I, I don't see if she did anything heroic. She's lucky to be alive at this point.
1: This is the one that wouldn't stand up to the national anthem, right? That's exactly
5: right. That's right.
1: Right? She hates America. I mean, can we just Because she hates America? and uh so we leave the Biden marine behind
3: there? and we bring her home and we I mean, and we have uh, the merchant honestly, of death released the merchant That's of death correct. Dr. Mikolas?
4: there's a it bigger problem the bigger just you your head the bigger problem is that now we've created a world attitude that if you ki- if you kidnap an american abroad they'll be used as bargaining chips this will increase the number of people being kidnapped abroad because now they know that they'll be able to negotiate, and that's why the Israelis have such a tough stance and they don't negotiate with oh, these types of things. Next week they'll
2: kidnap another American and exactly. again.
5: Exactly. I hope she kissed yeah, the ground well, when she landed.
4: I agree with those points
1: wholeheartedly. I thought we'd learned that lesson many, many, many years ago, but apparently we haven't. And I just want to say this. Uh, this Griner woman hates America. I mean, she's the one that would not stand up for the national anthem. I wonder if she will now. I wonder if she will now since... U.S. government has brought her home. But it's a terrible deal, and I agree with all your criticisms. Absolutely.
2: Well, Larry Kudlow, thank you so much. I'll be, I'll be listening tomorrow. The number one show on Saturdays, Larry Kudlow from, on WABCradio.com, 770 on your dial, from 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock, and uh, find out what the, what the world and the economy is doing. Tune in to Larry Kudlow at 10 o'clock
5: tomorrow on WABC. Thank you so much, Thanks. Larry.
1: Thanks, John. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.
5: We still got a great show for everyone. We'll be talking to New York Post reporter discussing Albany, Zach Williams. We'll also be speaking with Melissa DeRosa on the big picture of what's going on in the Democrat Party. And then, of course, more with Dr. Peter Mikolos on why it's important to be thankful. It's actually good for your health. And I can... I'll read this uh, join us here at 77 WABC on Thursday, December 15th from 6 a.m. until noon as we team up with the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for our annual holiday radiothon. All of the money raised will bring hope to America's military and first responder heroes and their families. Don't wait to donate. Go to wabcradio.com backslash donate.
1: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
5: Welcome back to the John Katz Matides Cats at Night show in studio. We have Dr. Peter Mikolos, Judge Weinberg, John Katz Matides, and myself, Lydia Serrani. on the line with us right now. We have Zach Williams, a New York Post reporter covering Albany. Welcome back to Cats at Night.
3: Zach, Thanks it's uh, Zach. It's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. I want to talk to you about uh, this Assembly Member elect. From Manhattan, Chang, who's a Republican, and now there are stories out there that the he, won, Democrats, he, won, he, won, he won, won in Brooklyn. Okay. He won handedly. He won, he won in Brooklyn. They say he's from Manhattan. 347. Right. And he's duly elected. If there's to be a challenge to his residency, they should have done it earlier. And now they're talking about not seating him. What are you hearing about that?
7: Well, the Democrats claim that they had no idea about his residency issues until after the election. And are now have a hearing planned of the Assembly Judiciary Committee on the 19th, where they will cons- say where they say they will consider the evidence and decide whether or not to um, suggest to the full Assembly Chamber to vote whether or not Lester Chang should be seated in the Assembly next year. Now, legal experts say that the legislature, like Congress to some degree, has um, a pretty good amount of leeway. To decide who can or cannot serve in its chamber. You know, a century ago, there were five socialists elected, and uh, they were the last people actually that the assembly ever voted to um, throw out. Now we'll see what happens with Chang. You know, the assembly speaker, Hasty, earlier this week, while speaking to reporters, noted that they just have not seen evidence that they claim would sufficiently show that Chang lived in Kings County over the past year before he scored that huge upset victory against longtime Democratic Assemblyman Peter Abate Jr. Now, Chang's attorney actually is holding a press conference tomorrow in Brooklyn where they say they're going to present some evidence. And I guess we'll just have to see where it goes from there. But, you know, the one important thing I think that um, should be noted is normally uh, members of the legislature have to live in their districts. But because it's a redistricting year, Chang only needed to live in the county. So that gives him a a lot more leeway because, of course, he does not – he has never claimed actually to live within the district boundaries themselves. You know, it was hard to know, of course, when you're planning to run how they eventually would look in this topsy-turvy redistricting year. Um, But um, because he actually lives in Midwood, which is slightly outside the district boundaries. But long story short, it surely looks like the Democrats are going to vote to boot him from the assembly before he takes a seat, and then we're just going to have to see where the courts land on this one. might even go all the way to the Court of Appeals.
3: And even if it turns out that they're vindicated, they have a legislative right to not seat him, the only thing that's going to happen is the governor's going to call a special election.
7: Well, that could get really interesting really fast. Um, Lester Chang could run in that special election. So could Peter, Peter Abate Jr., or there could be other candidates or the governor, like governor's past, like perhaps Andrew Cuomo, could sit on it for months and months um, and not call a special election. You know, it's um, we're really getting into some some um, untread waters here, because, like I said, you know, Other than Red Scare votes uh, 100 years ago, the legislature has never taken this step, no matter the concerns about someone's residency.
5: And and talk to us, um, Zach Williams. Again, you are the New York Post reporter covering Albany regarding the legislative uh, pay raises. And then my second question, the MTA, uh, Governor Hochul, she did a groundbreaking today, Morris Park section of the Bronx. Uh, Tell us all about it, because, you know, we hear about the shortfalls with the MTA, that they want to raise the fare. I mean, and and meanwhile, nobody's paying the fare.
7: (laughs) Well, there's a lot going on. I heard some really interesting from uh, someone smarter than me yesterday, which was after the election is when the real news breaks. And we're definitely seeing it this December. Um, So much has been going on. And that includes this last minute suggestion that Albany lawmakers might want to come back before the end of the year to approve a pay raise. Now, if they don't do it by the end of the year, they would not be able to get any pay raise until 2025 because um, state rules bar a legislature from, from giving themselves a pay raise, if you will. Whether, in,
3: whether in that session, that's correct.
7: Yeah, exactly. Now, the ironic twist to all of this is, you know, there's been um, much chatter from especially the political right or in recent months, um, you know, while Lee Zeldin was running for governor, about having lawmakers come back to Albany for a special session devoted to rising crime. Now, Hochul and other Democrats, you know, batted away that suggestion, said they didn't want to do that. But, you know, it, but they say that, you know, and to be sure, Hasty and um, sorry, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty and State Senate Majority Leader uh, Andrew Stewart Cousins haven't said one way or another whether they definitively want anything to happen on this issue, which has just led to more speculation that they might come back, no matter the political heat or the optics of uh, you know not doing it on bail, but coming back uh, to give themselves a pay raise. Now, you also mentioned. The the um, press conference held earlier today by Governor Kathy Hochul, of course, and uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, where they touted progress on the Penn Station Access Project, shovelled a little bit of dirt, proclaimed uh, the groundbreaking for four new stations, um, beginning with one in Parkchester that would allow people to people in Westchester and the Bronx to come to Penn Station via tracks that are currently controlled by Amtrak and for many years Amtrak would not share them with the Metro North controlled by the MTA which precluded um you know a lot of people gain a one seat ride into Penn Station that now the funny thing about these things is you have a press conference you get really excited right you're like wow you know that's pretty cool I hate train tra- transfers and I assume most people do the, the catch is this isn't going to finally happen until 2027 and the MTA segwaying into uh your your last comment there, you know, is it's going to take years to get this project done. Um, There is a lot of funding on the table through through the federal government infrastructure bill, which Schumer noted. But, you know, a lot of people are really wondering if the long term stability of the MTA is a given despite billions and billions and billions of dollars of federal stimulus funding. It remains to be seen whether they can get a handle on these huge capital costs um, and the pandemic driven uh, deficit, if you will, um, and get their house in order. And a lot of people are asking questions about whether, you know, is it worth um, throwing more money at them by allowing them to raise fares unless they can get you know some of these rising costs under control um, by maybe uh, running things a little bit tighter.
5: what what a mess, right? That's what what a mess. And to to reiterate for our listening audience, Albany legislators are contemplating coming back for an emergency session to give themselves raises but they've nixed the idea of coming back to uh, address the the rising crime that is plaguing our city.
7: You know, in Albany there's uh I think as David Patterson once noted there are there are gravitational forces that don't exist on other planets. and uh, So we're just going to have to see how it bends this way, one way or another.
5: So we see what their priorities are, right? Right, Judge Weinberg? Absolutely. John, what do you think about that? That they don't want to have an emergency session to address bail reform, I, I to think, address the crime, I, I but they want they, to raise their I think th- their they've salaries. done enough
2: damage in Albany already, and, and the people are starting to get mad as hell with what's going on
5: in Albany. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not even in Albany. Uh, I was mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore!
7: (laughs) But, of course, the big news of the week was certainly um, the scandal engulfing uh, Attorney General um, Tish James.
5: Tell us about it.
7: (laughs) Well, it it came out very late last week. Um, These outstanding sexual harassment – well, Uh, sexual harassment allegations against her now former chief of staff, Ibrahim Khan, who, um, as the New York Times reported earlier this week, reportedly um, grabbed a former employee of the attorney general, forcibly kissed her in late 2021, and somehow we only learned about it until December of this year. Now, there was recently election And, you know, given that the Attorney General knew about this by early October, which is when she hired an outside law firm to launch a, you know, HR investigation, if you will, a lot of people are wondering why oh why would she have sat on this news for weeks and weeks ahead of the election? Well, some people say maybe it was for political advantage. Now the attorney general for for her part says she followed the book on this. She hired, you know, this was someone that was close. She obviously could not um, investigate him herself and normally some you know a lot of experts say you would charge a chief of staff with overseeing investigation well can't do that when they're the one that's the target long story short she says she followed the book hired an outside law firm they concluded um, and substantiated allegations from at least one woman and he ended up resigning presumably because he was going to get fired now the but the funny thing is you know we all remember that she investigated uh, Ex-governor Andrew Cuomo in 2021 and issued that, that huge report um, detailing allegations, you know, from 11 women, and said that she believed them. Yet, uh, gosh, so many things going on, right? Just, you know, earlier this week, one of the women finally came forward after days of, you know, the scandal's growing more and more, and said that the attorney general, at least in her experience, seemed a lot more concerned about protecting Con than, you know, protecting her and this other former employee of the Attorney General. So, you know, the... You think that might, are,
3: that might suggest a double standard, Zach?
7: <laughs> some some say. Now, it is important to note a few differences here. Now, Cuomo was an elected official, and a referral was made to the Attorney General's office. Now, in this case, Khan was an employee... But and, you know, that does mean that she needs to investigate it as kind of a personnel matter. But that doesn't preclude her from referring the matter to um, law enforcement. And it really remains unclear whether the the attorney general or people working for her ever encouraged women to go to the police on this, like a lot of the acute Cuomo accusers eventually did against him. Interesting. Hmm. And, I, you know, one question has really been weighing on my mind when you compare, you know, this to um, the, the issue with Khan, to um, all, you know, the litany of accusations that, that faced Cuomo. And I, I think it's important to remember, of course, it was Khan that was accused of sexual harassment, of course, not Tish James. Um, but something to keep in mind is, you know, there was, you know, he had been accused before um, from a 2014 incident. And you just have to ask, you know, to what extent did the attorney general know of any other troubling behavior by Khan? Well, she still has not quite said, uh, you know, answered that question, despite a, you know, a pretty spirited interview with um, Errol Lewis earlier this week where she defended how she handled all this.
5: Well, thank you so much, uh, Zach Williams, for all your insight. And we look forward to talking to you again.
7: Thank thank you, you so much for having me. And on the line, have with us, weekend.
5: we have Melissa Derosa. Do you want to respond to what the Tish James investigation and con? I mean, we do, this is serendipity. We didn't even plan this, but you're the perfect person to ask. So I
0: mean, look, well, it's it's great to hear your voice, Lydia, and nice to talk to all of you guys again. I mean, look, I, you watch this all play out, and it's it should be shocking, except it just confirms to me what I have known for quite some time which is that Tish James has corrupted that office and it has been hijacked by a bunch of political hacks and children. I mean, Tish James, Jennifer Levy, Delaney Kempner, these people who came with her from the public advocate's office, which really is the public advocate, let's all be honest, is nothing more than sort of a paid, you know, complainer. It's like they have no actual role. These people came into the attorney general's office, which is an office with a long, proud history of bringing really important cases, and they've politicized and corrupted it. And I mean, it's not just with Andrew Cuomo and it's not just with Ibrahim Khan and how they handled that and the juxtaposition of the way that they handled it. But you look at what they did with Nikki Haley in leaking her donor list, which I'm hearing from people that are on the inside, that they did an internal report that they've also been sitting on, that they expect to dump some Friday you know, around the holidays. That's going to show that there were potentially bad acts there and not that it was a glitch, which Tish James claimed to the Newsday editorial board. So, I mean, you look at what she did here, and what I found incredible, and I thought Errol Lewis did a pretty decent job in that interview, but I was disappointed that he didn't put two very important questions to her. Number one, why did you not go to the comptroller's office? You're doing a contract. You're bringing in an outside law firm. There's over 2,000 people that work in the attorney general's office. Not one of them could pick up the phone and say, hey, Tom DiNapoli, we've got this issue with our chief chief of staff. And We've got to expedite this contract. We've got to get the ball rolling. No, they were covering it up. It was a, that's the smoking gun. And number two, Delaney Kempner, her press secretary, who for the entire week in the run into when The New York Times ultimately confirmed that this was all going on behind the scenes, that they were trying to cover up and keep hush hush. She was lying to reporters all week. She was saying, you're spreading rumors. You're gossiping. You know, what you've got is wrong. The Washington Post actually just covered that today in a column by Eric Wemple directly quoting her. And so it's just my biggest takeaway from this is that that office has been so badly politicized and damaged that it's an outrage. And the idea that the legislature is going to give her a pass on this and they're not going to hold her feet to the fire and say, we care about government competence. We care about the integrity of the office we're going to let this go and close ranks and just, you know, we hear no evil, see no evil and move on, shows their hypocrisy.
5: Right. And what's that famous line, Judge Weinberg, show me the person I'll show you. What does that show That's me? It's the line. Sure.
3: Show me the person and I'll show you the crime.
5: I mean, she ran on a a campaign that she was going to go after Trump. And then, of course, it became the cool thing to do to actually go after Cuomo. And she was encouraging the accusers to go to the police. So it's interesting that this was happening in her own office and it was ignored. I mean, it's it's not it's because it didn't bolster her political popularity.
3: We just said to Zach Williams, does this raise a question of a double standard? I don't think there's a question about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's not even a question of it. I mean. When you look at what she did with Andrew Cuomo and that report and how she leak, leak, leaked to the press throughout the entirety of that sham investigation. And then she starts selectively dropping transcripts, which she redacts in order to cover up things that were maybe not flattering for her herself or for Ibrahim Khan, her chief of staff, and her political consultant Tripp Yang. I mean, what she did she the way that she sort of pushed all of that out right after she announced she was running for governor. You know, she stands up. She says 11 women. She refuses to say which ones actually constitute sexual harassment. I mean, I I I know what the law is pretty clearly. I helped negotiate it. And sexual harassment is not putting your hands on a woman's face at a wedding or saying hi, sweetheart, or putting your hand on someone's waist while you're posing for a photograph. You know, those were the allegations against Andrew Cuomo that she said, you know, were sexual harassment in violation of state and federal law. And then, you know, the, all of the politicians sort of swarmed and pushed him out so that they could each, you know, move up the chain themselves. Tish had her eye on becoming governor and Kathy Hopal had her eye on becoming governor. You've got in this situation the woman who came forward this week in an interview with The New York Times saying, I believe she tried to cover this up. I am unhappy with how this was handled. And yet all of the politicians one by one said, we don't think that we need to do anything about this. So, I guess it's not really about believe all women unless it's politically beneficial to the people in Albany.
5: Well, thank you so much, uh, Melissa Derosa. One last question: Cinema. She's shaking things up. She went over Arizona Senator. She's now an independent. What do you think that'll do?
0: You know, look, I think that cinema's is making her own political calculation. I think given that she has sort of sat with Mansion this whole time and you know, bend the holdout on a, on some of the bigger Democratic legislative priorities, that she had her own concerns around a primary and surviving primary. But she's going to continue to caucus with the Democratic Party. I think she's going to continue to keep her committee assignments. And so I think that, you know, remember, Bernie Sanders isn't a registered Democrat either. And you've got or King.
3: others. Or King.
0: Exactly. So I think that I don't think this actually changes much. I know it sent some shockwaves around when the, when the uh, announcement first dropped. But I I don't think at first blush this is actually going to do much.
5: All right. Well, thank you so much, Melissa DeRosa. We have to go to a hard break and uh, hope you have an amazing weekend. You too. Good to talk, guys. Bye. Thank you. Now, when we come back, we will be speaking with our resident medical genius live in studio. Why it's good for your health to be thankful. Keep it right here, Cats at Night.
1: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC.
5: Welcome back to the John Katz Matidi show, Cats at Night. We only have three minutes, but that's enough for you, right, Dr. Mikolos? No, we got more than that. We just took a break. Oh, really? Because he told me three minutes. No? Well, let's start. Okay, go. Dr. Mikolos, tell us why people get colds more.
4: Okay, some fascinating news that came out in the Journal of Allergy and Im- Clinical Immunology about three days ago showed that. We catch colds when there's a 10-degree drop inside our nasal passages. And when we cold air enters the nose, we can't fight off infections as readily. And we now know that also when your nose is dry and the room is dry, the mucous membranes, which have a protective layer and barrier, which basically mop up viruses and bacteria that enter, they protect us. So now we know that there's a reason why when your mom told you to go, don't go outside in the cold with the wet hair and... And we now know that the temperature drop affects it. Now we know also with COVID that in the wintertime when we go indoors and our mucous membranes are dry, our lungs are drier, viruses and bacteria more readily enter. When we're in humid climates, like when we're outdoor on the beach in Florida or the Caribbean, we're less likely to catch COVID. So that's a very interesting study. So when you have little kids at home, those people who run humidifiers, and you can get ones with UVC light, which kill the viruses, mold, and bacteria inside the water— And by keeping a $10 hygrometer in the bedroom and it tells you the percent humidity, you get sick less and you have less flu, colds, viruses, RSV. So we want to keep our audience healthy. So we give them tips about the latest research on uh, being cold. And this Sunday we're going to have a great show and we're going to talk about the new research on thankfulness and immunity and gratitude and how it actually helps you live longer.
2: We're going to be talking about this Sunday with Dr. Michalos, how to reduce your stress so that you live longer because stress creates problems in your body.
4: Absolutely. When you have the fright and flight mechanism and your epinephrine and adrenaline is always running and also holding grudges. When you hold grudges, it's like swallowing a poison pill and waiting for the other person to die. So this is the time for forgiveness with the holiday season. My husband listening. And you need to let things go and uh, be nice to each other here, locally, and in the whole world. Peace and more diplomacy.
5: I mean, you know, we hear about that. Like, I have a few friends that have, like, been morning reporters, and they, they have a lot more health problems when they're constantly, like, on the go, when you're rushing, 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 and you don't sleep enough. So it's so important to take care of yourself, and part of that uh, balance is making sure you're not stressed out all the time.
4: Absolutely. And good diet, nutrition, exercise, it's all part of increasing your happiness levels. And like we say, keep your vitamin D levels up because we know that affects, it's a precursor to serotonin, which is our happy hormone. And that's why places where it's not sunny, like places like Iceland, where I have one of the highest suicide rates in the world. So we want people to get out, get a little sun, take your vitamin D, be healthy, and listen to WABC for more life-saving health tips.
5: What happened with Celine Dion? We have about two minutes left. What, stiff person syndrome? Did you hear about this? Uh, She can't perform now because she's, I don't know, it's called stiff person syndrome. Have you heard about this? I think
4: it's just a variant of uh, Parkinson's. It's a neuromuscular disorder where people can't. Uh, function, obviously, when your muscles are affected, your throat, your voice, because singing is a major part. You need a lot of muscles, not just your vocal cords. You need your lungs. So, uh, But Mm -hmm. there is a lot of research being done with neuromuscular disorders, and that's why we have to support American ingenuity and pharmaceutical companies so that they come out with all the new innovations, and we have to be careful as society not to institute price controls because they result in shortages, and lack of R&D money, no research and development, no new products. That's why we're the world leaders, and we helped the world get out of the pandemic with our antibodies, antivirals, and other forms of treatments.
5: What uh, supplements should we, be, should we be taking at this point right now?
4: Speak to your doctor, take your multivitamin, eating healthy, lots of olive oil, vitamin C, vitamin D. And discuss it with your doctor and uh, just stay healthy and listen to WABC. And wash
2: your hands, right? You reduce your stress if you can't sleep at night. Tune in
5: WABC. We're live all the time. Yeah, but the problem is I get more awake because Curtis has me dying laughing. Last weekend I'm listening to him and I literally laughed out loud. Keeps,
2: Curtis keeps me up all night.
4: What's even better is people tell me that they need le- less therapy sessions now uh, because they listen to WABC at night and it helps comfort them and calm them down.
3: <laughs>
2: thank you, Dr. Peter Michalos, and uh, and TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. And what do we, what stand, do we stand for? for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice in and the American way. way. God bless America. We do need His blessing. And uh, have a great weekend.
1: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.